Everything that has happened to me is because I've been around people who are two, three steps ahead. I'm 100% convinced of that. I interviewed a guy called Ian Hogg, who's like the chairman of the WorkTech group, went and worked for Xerox. When Xerox, like the sales organization, got best train in the world. Three years later, he did a 100 million pound deal with Sky for his own company. So he negotiated, based on that Xerox training, negotiated a 100 million pound deal with Sky for Sky at the races. He was the first MD of Sky at the races. And he was like, I've never suffered from imposter syndrome. And I was like, fuck yeah, like, I shouldn't suffer. <laughs> I feel like you should just go and get stuck into it. Like, it's only yourself saying, you can't do it. Why, why would you do that? They're way smarter than you, or they've got more energy than you, or it's not the right time, you know, you might have a kid again soon, or, you know, there's always something. I'm Nick Haley, founder of Little Big Tech. After more than a decade in the army, I left and joined civilian life. In this podcast series, I'll be speaking to entrepreneurs who left military service and started the next exciting chapter in their lives. We'll hear how these inspiring individuals transitioned from active service to the world of business. How did they take the first step on the road to becoming an entrepreneur? We'll find out. Welcome to Little Big Vets, the veteran entrepreneurs podcast. My guest on today's podcast, Ben Reed, spent nearly 11 years moving through the ranks of craftsman, lance corporal and corporal to become a sergeant for the REMI, the Royal Electrical and Mechanical Engineers, where Ben worked globally on rotary and fixed wing aircraft for the British Army. As such, he's no stranger to what it takes to succeed in a fast moving profession, which always requires you to be adaptable and keep a clear head. Transitioning out of service and into a B2B tech sales career, Ben used the skills and knowledge he had acquired to found the company Redeployable as a way of giving back to the military community and helping service leavers find rewarding roles like the ones he found within tech sales. Ben, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on today's podcast. You were in the, in the Remi as uh, aircraft tech, so do you want to tell us about, uh, a bit about why you joined and uh, what life was like doing that job? Yeah, of course. So I, I was a bit of a sheep, to be honest. Uh, my sister... He's still serving in the Royal Engineers. She's a regimental sergeant major. My older brother, who's older than my sister, he joined the Royal Artillery when I was young. I think I was 11. So I always had it in the back of my mind to, to join. Like it was always something that was in my mind. Went to sixth form, massively immature at that age, you know, 16, 17. Wasn't really putting the, the work in. So I decided to, to jump ship after four months, four months at sixth form and, and go join the army. That, I mean, that's fu fundamentally the reasons why there was nothing, I wasn't patriotic in any, in, in any sense, at that, at most definitely at that age. So it was a case of going out there and doing something cool like my, my brother and sister were doing. You went through the uh, Apprentice College, is that right? I went through Harrogate, yeah, 52 weeks at Harrogate, which were, I mean, some of the best, some of the best times I personally, I, I loved it. It was a 12-man room for 52 weeks, just absolute carnage it was at the time you know no alcohol apparently no alcohol um but yeah it was, it was a good it was a good experience for me at that time and then so you went off and uh, where, where was your first posting um you then go and do phase two because i i mean what i did when i got into uh the careers office was you do your little test on your pub test i think it's called and they give you the spit out spit out what you can do and i did pretty well so they told me i could be an rmp and then and the next step was like avionics aircraft tech and I was like well you know I'm supposed to be going to university I might as well try and get a trade out of this so I, I picked 
air tech. So you did your 52 weeks in Harrogate and then you go and do kind of a longer course in Arborfield in Berkshire, where it happens. I met my wife as well, who I'm still with now. But yeah, you, you do a longer course, so you're doing things from you know, theory of flight, advanced mathematics. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a walk in the park. It was pretty challenging kind of time from a, you know, a thinking standpoint as well as the additional phys you've got to do in the, in the army. So was that, and that was an enjoyable course? Probably say it like not at that time in my life. Like I was all about going out with, with the, you know, majority lads, some lasses. Like we look, I love going out into, into Reading. I was again, still a, Probably didn't mature up until I was 26, Nick, to be honest. I was a, I was a bit of a renegade, 26, 27, until I started to mature up a little bit. But I mean, I, I scraped through all of the all of the course. Like I did I did bare minimum to get through. Yeah. Um, but it's not uncommon though, is it, in the in on courses like that. So I went through um the uh, the Royal Signals uh telecommunications engineering course a year in Blanford, and there was a common theme of people doing just enough to stay on the course. Not necessarily saying that I was one of those, but. <laughs> I was really lucky that I was good at football. Like I used to play a lot of core football and army football. And my manager was W01. We had a football officer who's quite influential major. So I, I got in the shit a little bit, to be honest, when I was in Arborfield, but managed to stay on course because there were people who were kind of looking after me because of a football, football perspective. So I'd say I only, I was dragged through it really Really, if I, if I was look to look at it like in, in really look at it and be critical, self critical of myself, yeah, it, it would, but it was an amazing time and I learned a lot. So, and so you finished your, your phase two, and uh, where did you go after that? Yeah, just, um, Germany, straight to Germany, which obviously carried on that, yeah, uh, carried on that whole theme of I've done Germany a couple of times, yeah, yeah. you like it. <laughs> there's a lot of drinking in Germany, <laughs> yeah, it turns out there's a lot of drinking in Germany. We had, a, I mean. I don't think the army uh, or the military helped. You know, we had a bar above above our block in the in the attic where we all used to be able to go and you you know tax free alcohol and it, there is very much a work hard play hard environment. The drinking culture is completely is not. I don't think it's there anymore in in the military, which is I don't think a terrible thing either. But it's very much work hard play hard. You know, you got thrashed at work. You you, you put the work in, but you you definitely enjoy the off time. And uh, Germany was all about that, you know, 19-year-old, cutting around Germany, getting down to Berlin, getting to Oktoberfest, you know, going to you'd see things that and do things that I, I expect a lot of 19-year-olds can't go and do independently. So yeah, it's pretty cool. In that what, sense. what was the day job out in Germany? What were you actually doing? Uh, fixing aircraft. So, I mean, that's an, another kind of side to that is you, you, you can't really theoretically be p- pissed out your head <laughs> fixing aircraft. So there's always that that, that we needed to consider, but... We were, we were uh, our customer was the Army Air Corps throughout my career. So amongst, uh, you know, other kind of SF units, but the Army Air Corps, we need to l- deliver serviceable aircraft, like rotary predominantly, but then fixed wing in Northern Ireland um, to the Army Air Corps. So we, we'd be, at, at the Germany age, you know, days, hours, more of a junior kind of Lance Corporal getting told what to do. So did you enjoy it? Um, the job, not the uh, no. I would, I'd say I'd say no, in terms of the job. I, I think I'm a bit of a grafter. I know I know I'm a grafter with a bit of my business now and what I did when I got out. But I was always uh, I was just bought into like my, the leaders. If you know, I, I've got some pretty prominent people in, in my life still 
who were my bosses back then that you know I, I would have I would have done anything for. Um, I grafted, but I didn't enjoy it. It's never it was never like it was never my calling to be to fix aircraft. Although I did it for quite a while. Yeah, I was going to say then you 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 must have done it actively for something like nine or ten years. Yeah, t- ten years. Yeah, I did just shy of twelve years in total. So ten years of that, I think nine ten years of it would have been fixing aircraft. So. So why did you stay doing something so long that you didn't necessarily love? Um, you know, getting around, seeing places, you know, spending time in Oman, spending time in the US, uh, going to Afghan, uh, the the people. So do, I'm, doing I'm, it for the other things that came with the, it. The people, the people more yeah. than anything. Like my best mates now, five years out, are still, still yeah. those people. You know, my first hire in my business is my best mate. He's also happens to be a licensed civilian aircraft engineer. He's now doing, you know, working for us. Like, is the people for me, like, first and foremost, nothing really to do with the military for me. They give you, they give you opportunities and they made, they made me a more mature, skilled person. Like, a lot of what you, you ingrained and indoctrinated with kind of carries you over into civilian life, but... Yeah, it was, it was just a means to an end, I think, from a, a role perspective. What made you want to leave? Oh, yeah, I mean, I could give you like loads of detail. I was looking for something else beyond the going out. Uh, I'd get to that point in my life where it, it, like going out wasn't enough anymore. You know, the social side of it, I needed something else. I managed to get a, a great post in, uh, got there, spent six months there. It still wasn't for me. Well, my brother... My brother went out and got into tech. He's in technology sales as well, senior, senior account exec. Um, so I knew kind of what he was doing, but didn't really know. Went to a party uh, and with all my wife's closest friends, my friends now uh, as well. But And one of them was a sixth form PE teacher who just left being a sixth form PE teacher and started selling photocopiers in London. And she just randomly said to me, she'd been doing it for like a year and a half. She said, I think you'd be really good at this. And I kind of knew my brother went and sold tech. I mean, photocopies, tech. And so she said, I can set you up with a meeting with my boss if you want. So I was like, yes, yeah, sweet, let's go. So I'd not signed off. I just went and met him in Staines in a pub. You know, he, we had a chat. He said, yeah, I think you'd be really good. Give me a verbal that he'd give me a job in a year. So I, I went in the next day and actually got the guy who I've hired now to do the seven clicks to sign me off. So Doc, who works for me now, is the guy who actually signed me off of the army. So yeah, I just signed off on verbal, you know, probably a stupid thing, but I feel like I'm a little bit a little bit like that if I get a good feel for somebody and I, I trust the word and... I don't know general. what the seven clicks is, by the way. Oh, so I, seven, I, click, seven clicks is... Uh, I left in 2008. Yeah, seven <laughs> clicks is... There's a system called JPA where you can go and sign off. So you don't need to go and speak to anyone. You probably should before you sign off, but there are seven clicks in JPA to completely sign off of the military. Then everything else that happens thereafter, but there, you know, you go through the process of clicking seven times. So Doc did the seven clicks for me. You know, I went and told hierarchy and then got Doc to sign me off, which is pretty sweet because now he's, you know, we're working together. So You got to the end of your, uh, your year's notice and uh, you left. You called the guy back up? Oh, no, no, no. I, I wouldn't say I was like super proactive in terms of like the education piece before I got out. Um, I was more, I was concentrating on this specific opportunity, but I was pestering that guy, you know, like nothing for 12 months. Like it wasn't a case of, yeah, thanks, I'll see you in 12 months. I wanted, I, I got a contract through probably six months into my termination. 
But I guess the fact that I didn't have a contract in front of me to sign off, which, you know, it's challenging with a year's notice. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm I think the guy like I, I became a bit, a bit of a thorn in his side, I think, t- till he got me this contract. So, but I got it and, and started there um, nine months, 10 months later. So, during your last year, did you take up much of the, the resettlement opportunities? Not zero. You go to CTP, you, you do that, you'd go and carry, you, I think it's three three days, I think, in Aldershot. Um, so it was all right at the time. I wouldn't say I was like fully engaged with the process because I felt like this is where I wanted to go. They give you like a jobs portal and it, it, it was suggesting to me like job roles that weren't really what I felt like were a good fit for me. You my, know, My biggest memory was going through the process and I think the first thing that I did was I went to a CV writing workshop that was run and it was possibly the worst piece of training that I'd ever been on <laughs> and the, the output of it wouldn't have got a job, anyone a job anywhere. I don't think it was, it was horrendous. I think they've got better since <laughs> 2008. I think there's, I think there's been like quite a bit of, of money sunk into it, but there's still, I think there's still some gripes. It's a, it's a tough gig, I think for them because it's so bloody generic, you know, like yeah, how many industry, you know, how, how many like aptitude levels of people getting out, you've got different ranks, you know, completely different spectrum of people. You've got different skill sets. You've got different education. You've got people coming out with degrees, people coming out with no qualifications, people coming out who's struggling to read and write in some cases. You've just got such a broad spectrum of people. Uh, They're never going to be able to service without a lot of money, be able to service people in the most perfect way. So I'm not not defending CTP. We're not partnered with CTP anyway, but what I would say is I think it has got a bit better. Um, but yeah, like a generic CV workshop, like it, you need to then tailor your CV, don't you? And like trying to figure out wh- whatever industry you're going into. So, so then you've left, you've got this contract and what, what was it like starting off uh, a civilian job in, what were you selling? Uh, so photocopiers. Well, they, they didn't like calling it photocopiers. They like calling it multifunctional devices. Yeah. Yeah. You know about this. Yeah. You're yeah. in the IT game. <laughs> uh, multifunctional devices, you know, prop, like serious commodity sell. I had an area in London. You know, I used to drive five, I used to drive five o'clock in the morning, every morning up, up to North London to Highgate. I used to like bunker down in a Costa coffee. Like it was an hour, 15 hour, 20 drive, get down in a, in a Costa coffee. And then I used to just go and like meet companies and just like go and like. Hold on, you, I, you, you've, you've jumped ahead a little bit there. Like day one, you've never done this before. Yeah, all right. So I've gone, I've, I've gone more into like the weeds of it. Have I? Yeah. So I'm a little bit of a fuck it. Like, let's just get stuck in kind of guy. Like, I feel like action is the most important thing. I think you can get bogged down with worrying about things. So I just went into it with a similar military mindset of, you know, I'm going to be wearing a suit, you know, and tie. So I'm going to get an, a sweet looking suit and tie where, you know, I, I look good. Get in there and just get stuck into whatever they throw at you. So that's exactly the mentality I've always had. I mean, I'm not dressed as as smart now, but I'm, I'm founder now, you know? We yeah. don't dress, we don't dress now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not in the software industry. Like, I don't see many people wearing suits, but at that time it was like, just go and I have a bit of confidence in myself that, you know, you know, whatever I don't know, I can get, we've, you know, how many... How many times you've gone to a new unit and you've got to figure out a new kit and you've gone on equipment course for two weeks or you go, you know, we in, in aviation, we were having to go posted every three years, new full airframe, engines, hydraulic systems, you know, gearboxes. And it's like, 
you've got to figure all that shit out. Then you've got to go and try and fix them and they'll give you your signatures pretty quick. So you're like, and people are flying in, in those like, and they could crash and die. And it's like, if you really just boil it down, like I'm, I'm, I'm managing accounts. That's what I did. I, I was managing accounts for the new company and trying to upsell and cross-sell them and re-sign new contracts. Like, it's not life or death, is it? I just thought, get stuck in. So that's what I did. So then early starts, long days, convincing people to buy more photocopiers or have new photocopiers. I mean, it wasn't a case of like transactional one, one, one photocopier. It's more of like, a, you know, 50, 100K deals. Um selling to government as well, public sector, which is different than selling to yep. commercial as well. So it, it was more like, uh, it's got more like larger contracts, renew, but then you got more commission if you sign new net new deals. So you'd obviously try and go after net new deals as well. So it was it was like, it's just a f- education, 18 months education in what's good about selling and what's bad about selling. And that's it. And it's an eye-opener as well. You know, I won't say the guy's name, but there's a guy in my team who, I think it's like week two, Shouldn't he shouldn't have shown me this, but he he, um, he just won a deal with a big council, and he uh, and he showed me a commission check of like fifty two grand in one month, and I was like, that's four, that's fourteen k <laughs> more than I earned a year in the army, <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, I can't, I couldn't even believe, I could not believe that that was even a thing. Yeah. Um, and then what I discovered more and more is, you know the opportunity to earn and to for your effort to directly relate to more money you know is absolutely vast in tech so that's kind of what gave me that bug to go you know if i graft and do well yeah. and not like get stuck into all this stuff and learn you know i could i could i could have a pretty comfortable life and so did you did you enjoy the actual selling or did you enjoy the rewards of the selling or both to begin with, I think I've always enjoyed selling because people, back yep. to the army, like people. People used to say things to me in the military like, you know, you could you could sell out to an Eskimo. Like, I used to get that, but that, I don't see tech sales as that. I see tech sales uh, and selling like solutions, like where people are committing large amounts of money. It is, it's about, you know, having a level of integrity, you know, being personable, all the good things that you expect. But it's not like trying to flog someone on a dead horse, right? It's you know, be empathetic to what, and listening to what pe- people want. So it was all the people things that I liked about the job. Uh, the money was amazing uh, to begin with. But what I found is the more money you, you earn, you, you could keep earning more and more money. And if there's something in you, within you that's like, you're not completely fulfilled, you'll go and take risks and do something else and maybe drop a, you might your wife might hate you for it, but you drop you drop a really well paying job to go and do something else or try and chase something that really fulfills you. So money is back to the point. Selling is I love it because you get to talk to people and build relationships and you know do just chat to people and, and understand what they what they need. And money is important to me still, like really important. Like I'm I'm definitely money driven in in some sense, but fulfillment I think trying to find that thing that really fulfills you is the is scratching the, that itch. Yeah. Now you've left, you've left the army, you've got this new career that you're enjoying, you're making loads of money, but you've got this itch. How is that feeling? Because like, you know, you, you've changed your life in, in quite a short period of time leaving the military. And then to talk, talk us through what, what happened, why, why did you want to I didn't. I don't think I changed, I didn't change my life to begin with. Like, 
you know, I I took a what a fourteen, funnily enough, fourteen took a fourteen k, fifty thirteen k base drop to go into this role. So I went from earning thirty eight k in the in the army as a sergeant to earning twenty five k base with the potential of a lot of commission. I think I doubled in that first year my military wage through doing doing well selling. But it, it didn't fundamentally change my life. It just gave me a you know I was all home. Gave me the flexibility to do something that I felt I, I, that was more suited to me, my personality, what I enjoyed. Um, but that next step for me was getting into software. Again, being the sheep that I am. Thought my brother was in software, and he's like, "Come over here, Ben. This is what you need to go over here." So I, I, it was get, finding the right opportunity for me in SaaS software as a service for you know people who are listening and, and don't know um, to get into that SaaS space to to start progressing my career there. So. Um, and, and I'd say that's probably more of a money decision at that point. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, bigger base, bigger commission, just bigger all over. Yeah, yeah. Big, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I doubled my base, first first role. Uh, double, yeah, double. Well, my on target was, you know, sizable. It's when I started to, like, get to that six-figure on target earning kind of realm. And it's just, like, the, that opportunity. Working for a global company, you know, you're dealing with Canadians, U.S., you're selling to, you know, I was selling to people in the Philippines, Singapore, France, Germany. So you're just getting the experience of different cultures, selling to different cultures. You know, selling to somebody in Singapore is completely different than selling to someone in the UK. In the UK, selling to people in Holland, you know, they operate in a different way, really straightforward. You know, we'll tell you how it is, uh, you know, crude business people. So it's like just just having that extra, that notch in, my, in, in kind of my armory of, just experience, I think. Experience and more money, which was which was important. So how long were you out of the army when you moved into the SaaS sales? 18 months. 18 months? Yeah. So in a year and a half, yeah. you've gone from 30-something grand a year in the army. Yeah. And now you're in and around the six figures in a year and a half. Yeah, so I was probably near around the six figures in my first gig, I think, for what what I was doing. I was, I was doing all right, but then... I guess it was the progression where, where what I saw in the SaaS space. Like I, I joined, I'd gone from this hardware sell, commodity sell, so I guess less margin, to this software sell for a Canadian company that was global. Uh, there was a lot of uh, opportunity to progress, therefore earn more money. So yeah, it was an eighteen month, and and I was I was on that kind of six figure, six figure piece. And so, uh, how long did you do that for? Well. There's a there's another job in between starting my own business, but I did I was at that company for three years. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, well, I mean it progressed. Progressed. What happened is I started like uh, in kind of like this transport logistics space, like selling software to your FedExes of the world, your co- companies with like fleets of vehicles. So we'd be doing like route planning software, you know, stuff I'd never done before. It was like absolutely knock off too tough, like blagging it until I I knew it. And then we acquired a business or the company acquired a business um, for 25 million, which was a bit more like an e-commerce. And I, I was getting to the point where I need more than this. Like I, I smashed my number the first year, you know, I, I earned quite a bit of money. And I was like, I need something more fast paced to keep me interested and keep me going. And we acquired this e-com software business, smaller team, you know, that, that were gonna be amalgamated into to our business. So they give me the opportunity to go and sell, yeah, be the European sales lead for that business. So that's what I did. I, I went and got in, into that business unit while, while they were there. Um, and that was like 
fast-paced e-com, you know, fashion brands who are growing super, super fast. So it's, you know, you don't dress in suits. You go, you're speaking to fashion founders, the mid-20s, early 30s, dressed way smarter than I, I'm, I could ever dress. So it's like, again, I was looking for more. I promoted there, you know, I got senior AE there, senior account exec. So it was just that, I think, progression that I was I was looking for, um, which was, is mega. I loved it. Really good time. And so why did you leave there? The company that I was working for, uh, when we amalgamated that, the company, we bought the, we acquired the company, the head of growth for that company moved on, so did the founder. So I let that team left, you know, I think they must have had like a, an earn out. And uh, he, the head of growth went to a, a startup, 30 person startup in London. And he, 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 you know, we just carried on chatting because we'd, we'd sold loads together. We'd had a mega time. It's it it good. And he's like, you know, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Like, he didn't obviously didn't, didn't offer me to come there. Uh, but, but I said, you got any, got any positions? Got any positions? And, and, and it was a head of sales role. So I was like, you know, I've gone from, account manager, AE, senior AE, get, get into a head of sales gig, what, it's three years after leaving. So I was like, yeah, let's go and, let's go and give it a go in a, in a startup, which is, you know, for people who have, have not been in the tech space, you know, the difference between a startup to a scale up to, I mean, enterprise, you could class enterprise, what a thousand, Descartes, the company, that Canadian company was 1500 people, you know, you could go and work for a Salesforce or a, that's enterprise, but, the difference between a 1500 person company and a startup 30 person was just wildly different. So that, that challenge, you know, excited me work reporting directly into the founders, co-founders. Uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. How long did you do that for? 10 months. And then that was when you left and started your own. I, yeah. I got the, I got the itch then I was like, I got the itch of like, do you think that was being around people yeah. who'd scratched their itch and launched something and you were like, you know what? I want to do my own thing? 100%. Everything that has happened to me is because I've been around people who are two, three steps ahead. I'm 100% convinced of that. And I'm like, you know, I can, I can go and smash that out. Like, why can I not go and do that? And then you meet founders and you're working with them every day. You're like, I, you know, I've got something that I feel like I can, make, I can do and make an impact. You know, why can I not go and do that? So it's just like, just that yeah, I really do think it's like that impo that imposter syndrome a little bit. Like I interviewed a guy called Ian Hogg, who's like the chairman of the WorkTech group. He got out in 1990 and went and worked for Zero, uh, Xerox. When Xerox was like the sales organization, got best trained in the world. Three years later, he did a hundred million pound deal with Sky through his own company. So he negotiated based on that Xerox, uh, Xerox training, negotiated a hundred million pound deal with Sky for Sky at the races. He was the first MD of Sky at the races, ex-Navy ex diver. And he was like, I've never suffered from imposter syndrome. And I was like, fuck yeah, like I shouldn't suffer. <laughs> I feel like you should just go and get stuck into it. Like it's only yourself saying you can't do it. Why Why would you do that? Like they're, they're way smarter than you or they've got more energy than you or it's not the right time. You know, you might have a kid again soon or, you know, there's always something, isn't there? That's, yes. It's easy to find excuses to not take action. Yeah. Just get uncomfortable and go and do stuff. Yeah. And like I've called, I'm not going to say the name of my person. I've called it a name. I've called that person um, a name. I'm not going to say it because it sounds ridiculous, but I, I and we could, my, me, me and my wife know who that person is. So I'd be like, oh, you know. So and so's, they me here again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone with a name. 
I don't know why. I don't. I'm going to say it's not it. Nick, is it? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm fully aware there are probably some lovely Debbies out there. <laughs> he's called. He's called Debbie. I don't know why. I was like Deb. I can't remember what he's originally called. Ian. It's like Deb. Oh, Debs is on my back again, or something like that. And now, now it's like I go on a run and I'm going to do five k. Oh, oh, I go on a run, not planning on doing out however long. I go for a run and then I'm like, I go right and you can do 10K or go left and you'll finish at 5K. And you're like saying, so, oh, Debbie's, <laughs> she's telling me to go left. <laughs> I'm going to go right. I'm going to go do 10. So it's like, I think that little voice, joking aside, on your shoulder, like it's so easy to get sucked into it. You know, oh, like my alarm's gone off. I said I was going to go to the gym, but I could just go to the gym tomorrow. Yeah. Or there are a lot of people in the military are good at kind of getting rid of that noise, I think. Um, but I've had to call it a name. You know, no offence to Devis. I love, I've got some close <laughs> Devis in my life. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, so tell us about what your, what your itch was and what you started. Yeah, I think it's pretty evident that there's, there's going to be a digital skills gap. I think there is a digital skills gap right now. You know, Com Ferry reported in 2018 that by 2030, there's going to be an 85 million person skills gap globally. Now, I think it's something like $8.5 trillion worth of revenue missed. So there's a massive gap, and I'm seeing it across that energy and all big companies where five to seven years, 40% uh, of the workforce are going to retire. You know, 80,000-person companies, like significant problems they're having around pulling talent from elsewhere. I, I had a lot of friends leaving the military who, because CTP was quite broad, had no way to get into tech. You know, I, I'm out there earning very good money, like very, very good money towards the end. And I don't, I didn't see myself, still don't see myself as like anything special getting out. Like there are so many talented people getting out of the military, so many yeah. who could smash any role given the opportunity. And then when they're in that opportunity, they're around people who are that two steps, three steps ahead. Then they can go and do whatever they want to do. Yeah. So I had a lot of people contacting me and asking me, you know, I got into engineering, but I feel stuck. I got into this, they, you know, they said that the banks were going to be amazing. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. How do I get into tech? Um, so I started helping people and then I started getting a bug for helping people and, and, and doing it. And, and I just felt like there's, there's got to be a better way to help not only veterans and service leavers get into these kind of high growth, high reward roles, not just in as well in sales, you know, in the future, we've got some, we've got some pretty cool plans, but also creating these opportunities for these tech companies to grab these people who, you know, are so dedicated committed have all this these soft skills that you know just come into a room read a room well you know you go into a go into an office with a colonel versus going to an office with someone's jack you know how to act right it's like up and down you understand you change the, the your whole approach just little things like that i just feel uh, strongly that you know te tech companies just like like these people when when you get them in front of these tech companies they're like yeah they're they're, they're a bit of us. We, we want to get get some people like this in. So so I started the business uh, to specifically to do that, to, to connect tech companies to, to veterans. How did you get started? What what did you do when you... Back to the man of action. So I just set up a limited company. I was like, if I set up a limited company, all this putting it off and... Then it's real. It's just done. I made it real. Yeah, yeah, so set up a limited company way before I was even going to start the business. Did a little bit of like LinkedIn in just to see if there's a bit of appetite. You know, then I had an honest conversation with the founders of the business that I was in to say, 
listen, you know, I'll, we'll get you to where you need to be. There was something that they were they're working towards, they're working towards a raise. You know, I work, you know, to my last day, uh, get, getting you to where to where you need to be. But at this point, I, I want to go and I want to go and do this myself. So I just I just went and you know went and committed to the work I was supposed to be doing. But then jump jump ship and and set up on my own. Luckily, you know, I'd been quite successful in in sales since since I started. So rather than investing all my money into other people's businesses, I had a nice nice chunky part of money in the bank to to sink into my own business. So. How's it going? It's such a funny question, that isn't it? How's it going? Because you, I think as a founder, you never know what to say. Because that it's an emotional roller coaster, is my experience. Like the the moments when things come together like they're supposed to are like ecstatic. You, they're just amazing. And then you have the days where things don't pan out how you how you thought they were going to, and things that you thought you'd planned well. It turns out there was something you hadn't thought of and the wheels fall off. It's like, oh, that's so disappointing. We put so much time. Or it turns out you've blown a couple of grand on something that didn't work out the way you thought it would. Yeah. But it's proper highs and lows uh, is, is kind of how it's been on, on my side. Yeah. I mean, I, can't, I couldn't describe it in a better way. You know, you, you, uh, you just, it's just all in, aren't you? You're all in. Like everything, you, you're trying to solve a problem a big problem that consumes you as a person like this is all I'm, I'm doing things I'm taking steps to make sure that it's not all like you know I've got 14 14 13 14 month old boy, boy little lad you know amazing wife you know going for a spa day on Saturday all day and tech, not just tech work away like there are things I'm trying to do to limit that you know it all consuming you know, how do I solve this problem what's the best way to solve this problem is that the right decision you know I, Am I taking risks here? You know, how do we go and raise that capital? You know, should I raise that capital here or should I wait and try and drag it out and see, you know, how do I get into this company? What's what's our ideal client profile? Should I be speaking? You know, you, I could keep going. Like, yeah. what tech do we need to use? You know, do we need a new website right now? Like, all this stuff. And you lie in bed trying to go to sleep and you've yeah. got a nagging question in your head and you lie there for three hours thinking about it. You're like, I should be asleep because yeah. I've got to get up early in the morning because... Yeah. I've got a 14, 15 month old kid who's going to wake up at five o'clock. My family's livelihoods, right? This is why, you know, I, I take it really seriously. My, I have these conversations with my wife all the time, like we're best mates. I take it seriously because I've got one of my best mates working for me, you know, don't work out. He ain't got a job. You know, we're hiring more people. You know, if you don't work out, they ain't got a job. So it's not just, is the business going to work? It's people, yeah. people and no Henry, who works for me, I know his family really well. Like, I- it's a daunting experience the moment you become responsible for someone else's mortgage as well. Yeah. You're like, well, yeah, I, I've I've got my livelihood here, but I've employed this person. They are entirely reliant on the success of this to pay their wages. That I found that really really daunting. Yeah. When uh, when I first started getting people on payroll, I'm completely convinced that will succeed. But I guess every founder probably says that. But I, I am like with like the energy that I have and I feel, I feel like I can sell, which is such a, um, it's, it's such a useful tool like, oh, if you're trying to bring money into sell, a company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm selling, like, luckily I've got that skill. Like, I think there are like two ninja skills like to bring into a business. If, and I say like, if you combine them both, if my boy grows up and he can do both of these things, like he's, he's all right, can he sell? I hold a room, you know, understand what people need and can he develop 
you know, can he write code? Can he build? And I don't, like those two together, I've met one person who, I won't say his name, an old but big, big boss, big, big boss. He wasn't big. He was just there. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> he he could do both. And he was like a killer salesperson and also spent 10 years developing. And he was just somehow, you know, when you're in a room where you just, yeah, I, I can't even hold a conversation with this guy. Like, you know, it, it's just another level. It, it, I feel like those two skills are, are pretty, pretty good for you when you're, when you're you're in a startup and, and, and I'm lucky to have one, uh, although not that much experience really, five years. <laughs> but yeah, so that's actually quite a good point about the uh, the learning to code. Uh, and like, yeah, any sort of coding, if you were thinking about leaving the army, that would be a really good thing to spend a few hours each evening and de- develop an additional skill. It, 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 yeah, that's just super useful. So my wife's a teacher and she teaches kids the real basics of code, like five, six-year-olds. So like, I think there's a recognition that it's an important skill from, I mean, we haven't, I guess at the time of this recording, like we haven't announced it, but from a platform perspective, we're building a platform at the moment to connect veterans to tech companies globally. We're working with an AI company as well. But a lot of this is, we talk about like grabbing veterans' data and understanding what they need, like their experiences, their education, what they're interested in. And then there's this middle bit, middle ground of educating upskill. So we run our own, uh, we call it a workplace development program where we get veterans, we make sure they've got the aptitude to sell. Then we put them through an eight-week course with a number of partners as well as ourselves delivering stuff. Then they go in, uh, into employment. Aside from that, we've got our, our partners, we're building partnerships up with um, upskill organizations. So we don't, in, in, in particular, work with recruiters. As such, we work with, organizations that are going to same as our development program in sales they're going to get these people you know make sure they've got the aptitude to learn the 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 skill and then and then get them into employment so you know a big one for us is uh is full like full stack developers front-end developers back-end so we've got partnerships uh soon to be announced with organizations that offer that to veterans and see veterans as a real growth area for their for their businesses and for their clients so it's a long time from making the decision to leave to when you actually leave. And if you're motivated, you can get a lot done in that time. Um, and in, in hindsight, I wish I'd used that year better. Um, I, uh, I, I in no way made the most of that. Um, and I think being self-starting and actually looking at what would benefit you and, um, and having to think about what your life could look like, you know, a year out, two years out, three years out, and it can be wildly different to your life in the army. Yeah. I don't think you should be too hard on yourself, Nick. You know, we've got swans on the wall. <laughs> like, feels like we're doing all right. Yeah, don't be too self-critical, mate. You've done, you've done all right, mate. My, one of my aspirations is to get swan pictures on the wall. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who, who doesn't want swans uh, on the wall? I'm, I'm all for it. I'm going to take a picture before I go because someone wipe and sit. Brilliant. Now I've gone bright red. <laughs> So uh, I, I usually ask people uh, a question about how um, about giving back to the, the the veteran community and like service leavers. But I mean, your your day job now is literally about that. It's like sort of sending the lift the lift back down and saying, "Come and come and have a better life." You know, when you when you've done your time, however long that is, there's a fantastic world of opportunity out there for you. And I don't think people realise because um, like the news is full of people with 
veterans with PTSD, veterans committing suicide, veterans who are homeless. You know, it, they're, they're all real problems, but it's not the whole story. There's like, so I, I mean, uh, we met through the, the Veteran Entrepreneurs Group. And that is an incredible circle of people who've done incredible things. And that, that was the whole idea of starting this podcast was to like have conversations like this and then people who are leaving the military can have ideas and get inspiration and see that, well, you know what? This could be really good in like your sort of your second career. Um, so I think what you're doing is, uh, is really incredible. I think it's important to note that we're not a social enterprise or a charity though. Like there's still my business head on that I want to grow a super successful but impactful business, like something that's going to make a difference. And I don't know why you have to, I don't know why you like got, I feel like you get this need to guard against that to say, you know, I want to grow a business that's, you know, we grow it to X amount and hopefully make a big difference. Um, you know, aside from, you know, maybe a fashion retailer who grows a 500 million pound business, but has sweatshops in India and Sri Lanka, and you feel like you've got to, you got to guard against the fact that you are a for profit, but we are because I, I, you know, I've got other things that I want to do uh, in my forties is the, is the reality. So I want to build, you know, build this business, bring people along that are, are absolutely on board, you know, bring people that can also benefit from what we're doing as well in the long run. And yeah, like do do you know do something pretty incredible? Maybe not just in the UK, you know, you know across different regions as well in the future. So we've got some big plans. If you could give a piece of advice to someone who was just coming into their last twelve months in the military, what would what would that be? The I think the biggest challenge is over choice. Like, you know, everyone this this transition piece is like, you know, here I don't think there's there's a lack of opportunity. I think it's just like people are just throwing opportunities at you in different sectors and you're going on all these job fairs and there's just so much to try and figure out. So I think it's just really boiled down what you enjoy doing. You know, people might be going into cybersecurity. I'm not knocking cyber, I think it's awesome, but let's just use that as an example. Your mates might be going into cybersecurity, but do you like sitting in front of a computer? It might be trendy to become a full stack developer, but you know, that's maybe 100% of your time, majority of your time spent in front of a computer or do you like speaking to or do you not like speaking to customers do you not like speaking to people are you quite an you know introvert should you be going into sales or customer success or so it's like really just trying to figure out what you enjoy tech doesn't need to be coding if we're talking about tech specifically doesn't need to be coding a lot of people i know the, the majority i know don't know how to code there are all different types of roles that you can jump into and with a lot of transferable skills so it's just kind of understanding where you fit in i think What's a typical day look like for you these days? Um, pretty set. So we, 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 we've had 12 months of a new baby, so it's been pretty carnage uh, for that. It changes things a little bit. Um, for me, I get up at six, uh, most days, unless my son's going to nursery, he goes twice a week. So I get up at six, go and do some fizz in the morning, go to the gym, uh, to try and stay fit because when I start the business I, I, I was like just grinding long long hours out so pretty pretty regimented with that I then get into never ending calls all day which is self-induced so uh, just end up either speaking to service leavers number one thing for us is every decision we make uh, needs to make sure that we're we're kind of offering a good service to service leavers because that's the reason why we're doing it amongst the, the business side 
Um, so we speak to service leavers, uh, companies. I speak to a lot of tech companies. You know, we're speaking to investors at the moment. So I'm looking at uh, in- investment um, that route. Then lunchtime, my I've got like a CTO in the business who's not actually in the business yet. So not, not many people know that, but he lives lives near me. So we go on a run at twelve o'clock ish normally. Go and do you know five to ten k uh, at lunchtime. That normally clears my head. Then I'll normally you know grind out the rest of the afternoon on calls, um, try and get a bit of project work in, try and, and then try and get in most days to bath my son. It's important sometimes get to have dinner, but at the minute it's busy, um, and then go back to work. Unfortunately, which is which is terrible, but not weekends. I'll try and yeah you know eliminate the work at the weekends, but normally I'm, I'm putting a good shift in. Get into bed. Got I got a journal. I'm not ashamed of it. I, I, I like to write down what I've achieved for the day, what I want to achieve, three things the next day. And at the minute I've cut out sugar in my diet. So I do a little tick that I've cut out sugar. I've cut out alcohol and sugar for what we are, 18 days. Don't feel any different. Probably going to start again soon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no. So, so yeah, I I usually try and reflect because it's another habit I used to do a lot uh, and don't do it as much. And I, I always try and squeeze in either a bit of podcast or I'm reading a, an awesome book at the minute called Build. So I try and get a bit of, of reading in as well. You're pretty consistent on LinkedIn posting really often. Yep. So I would definitely recommend people follow you on LinkedIn. So yeah. Ben, ben Reed, redeployable on LinkedIn. And what's your website for your company? So yeah, so by the time this comes out, it'd be redeployable.io. We're shifting our whole, you know, our whole business, the first, the first seven months of our business was to prove that there is a real, you know, really strong model here. We've had some awesome success stories, built some awesome partnerships, and now it's all about uh, developing a platform to launch in May to do this at scale, educate service leavers, and connect them to amazing opportunity at scale. So, have you got a success story you could you could share as a sort of? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, we've got Tom Bennett. You know, got out, got into Rolls Royce aircraft tech, so I know him from serving. Um, you know, stagnating. He got to the peak of where he was at. You know, comfortable. Needed something else. He's now just promoted to an account executive, so he's been in role for seven months and he's now an, an AE. You know, high flyer, works hard, just smart, smart guy. Kaylee Lewis, a lovely, lovely lady. Twelve years as an RMP. She's now the sales and partnership manager at Sparklayer. You know, Bobby Lower, Ruben Jones, both at Exceed. One's an account manager, one's a, a business development manager. Got loads of BDRs in Aaron Lovering. We've got software implementation consultants, Kyle Lawton, uh, God, I can, Mike Craycroft, XJTAC, BDR in London. So the loads of different. Amazing. You know, we, we, we try and, you know, these we don't just help them into roles and say, see you later. That's not what we're all about. So we've got, we have a mentorship program. Every person that we work with in you know in the last seven months have mentors. We have a coffee call every two weeks. It's a bit of a therapy session where we bring experienced people in. We've got a community platform. So everything we're building is not just about you know revenue, revenue, revenue. It's about trying to create this ecosystem of you know amazing folk who all help each other as well. So, so if, if people are leaving, they should get in touch with you. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and and it's not a get in touch with us because you, you most definitely want to get in into tech you know get in touch with us Doc's Doc's an absolute legend you know have a chat with Doc about the industry about you know what you know what it's all about he can connect you with veterans already in the industry 
we've got a podcast. You know, there's all sorts. You can just just go and learn and get yourself into a position where you know what you want to do before you. Where can we find your podcast? Uh, Spotify, Redeployable Podcast. Perfect. Nowhere near as professional as this. This is this is something else. (laughs) Ben, it's been awesome to have you on today. Thanks very much. Yeah, no, it was a pleasure, mate. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. I'm sure you'll agree the stories from the guests on the show are incredible. Starting your own company is a brave and difficult thing to do. There's a theme of resilience running through all these stories, which is key to success as an entrepreneur. If you're a veteran with a good story to tell, we'd love to have you on. If you're leaving the military and you want to get in touch, email podcast at littlebigtech.co.uk. If you run a business and you're looking for an IT company that's entrepreneurial and forward thinking, please do get in touch. I hope you enjoy the rest of the series. Thank you.